Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, which makes this Stuff You Should Know. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> How you doing? Oh, I'm great. You look like you're doing great, Chuck. <laughs> you look like you're doing great, Josh. Jerry looks like she's doing about like we're doing. Yes. We're all doing the same. Yep. That's what we're doing. So, <laughs> Chuckers, I got, as I said right before we started recording, I've, I've got no intro for this, but... This is a listener request times infinity or so. Yeah, I got a, I got an intro. Oh, okay, let's hear it. Just came to me. Okay. Josh, remember years ago when you were a young child watching NFL football and the quarterback for the Washington Redskins, Joe Theismann, horrifically broke his leg? Lawrence Taylor broke his leg? It's one of the great tragedies of my life that I missed that. Oh, you did? I never saw it. <laughs> You know when you were watching any sporting event and you see a knee go in a direction it shouldn't go in? Willis McGahee. Okay, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. When it was flopping around? Yeah. Uh, did you feel a pain in your leg when that happened? Yeah, yeah. I felt some sort of uh, discomfort. Okay. I feel a shooting pain when I see... It's it's usually a bone or a leg going away it's not supposed to go. Like, a knife wound wouldn't bother me. It wouldn't make me grab my chest. Right. But that always sends a shooting pain through my leg. Really? And that, buddy, may be a mild form of synesthesia. Yes, it might be. It's my first intro. That's very good, Chuck. <laughs> I think we should uh, we should appropriately clap for that. Jerry? Yes. <laughs> I clap for myself so yeah, it wouldn't just be a two-person lame slow clap. It was a good clap. It was a good intro, Chuck. And <laughs> this is news to me. I had no idea that you were a synesthete. Well, I don't know if that really counts. I kind of thought everyone felt a shooting pain when that kind of thing happened. Well, but. you know, buddy, you sound like a developmental synesthete. Born with it? People, yeah, people who are born with synesthesia mm-hmm. uh, tend to think that this is a very normal uh, occurrence, that everybody feels this oh, way. yeah. Yeah. That's and, the only time it happens, though. It's just with leg injuries. Well, uh, breaks and, and things like that. And limbs just do things that aren't supposed to, they're not yeah. supposed to do. I don't see the number three as orange. <laughs> right. We'll get to that later, but... We definitely will. But what you're talking about is mirror touch synesthesia. Yeah, the first one. Yeah. Yes. Okay. You want to go into it? Yeah. Why not? Or what are you waiting for? That's one of the... I, just, I did the intro. I thought that's usually oh, okay. when you hand it over, so I'm handing it over. Yeah, this is all reversed. I know. And it's not like mirror reversed. It's all just confusing. Um, all right. Well, mirror, mirror touch synesthesia is a... Uh, I don't know if you could call it a disorder, maybe a condition. We'll say condition. Yeah, condition. It's a condition where a person actually experiences a touch or an injury uh, that they're observing on someone else. Right. And because it's mirror touch, if, say, I'm facing you, right? Which you are. Right. And your left arm gets touched, I would feel it in my right arm. Yeah. Right. And if I were standing next to you and your left arm were touched, I would mm-hmm. feel it in my left arm, too. Right. This is not supposed to happen normally. No. It's no? pretty weird. It, it is. And apparently for the, the uh, I guess, truly advanced mirror-touch synesthetes, like, you can't watch a horror movie because the right. the empathy involved 
is so extreme. It's unbearable. That they, it, it's unbearable to watch. Yeah. Like you feel like these things are happening to you. And there's no, we, we, there's a lot of stuff we need to point out, but chief among them is there's no confusion here. These people aren't confused. They don't think they're really, you know, no, no, no. Jack Nicholson getting hit in the head with a baseball bat by Shelley Duvall. Right. Right? Yeah. They, they, they don't think that's happening to them, but they still experience this, right? Yeah. That's number one. Number two is this is not imagination, right? Right. Like these people aren't deluded. No, no, no. They're any normal. more than than say a, a person with mirror touch synesthesia feeling themselves being pinched when they watch someone else being pinched. That's no more a delusion than you or I being pinched. That experience, right? Yeah, they're they're considered uh, neurologically normal, quote unquote. Right. And we also know that they, they are having these real experiences because of our friend, the Wonder Machine. Yeah, yeah. Which has been employed to um, investigate synesthesia in all forms. And it shows um, that the, for example, I, I, don't, I, I can't come up with one for mirror touch neurons, but we'll, we'll use the um, color grapheme. No. We'll use the sound <laughs> color synesthesia, okay? Okay. Yeah, there's all different types, and, and this is another one. Sound color is when you uh, associate sound with color. Right. So if you have somebody who has sound color synesthesia uh-huh. in the MRI, yeah. right, and you play a musical note for them, the region of the brain that, uh, that, that experiences or governs uh, our understanding of musical notes uh-huh. is activated. Sure. As is the region of the brain that's associated with colors. Right. So these people are experiencing both. There's no way to separate them. And it's not an association like um, you were wearing a blue Evil Knievel jumpsuit the sure. first time you heard you know, a particular Bach concerto, right? right? Although I was. <laughs> you were. Sure. And you may associate that. So you may have a visual image in your mind of that blue jumpsuit or even that shade of blue whenever you hear that concerto. This is not what we're talking about. This is a mixture of the senses in yeah. its most definitive form. Yeah. Oftentimes they say there will even be a projection of that color, a literal projection that they see. And it sounds kooky if you've never experienced it, but to them it seems completely normal. Well, yeah. Um, I think – once that once they realize that they're synesthetes and that this isn't normal, uh, it becomes tiresome from what I understand. I was reading an interview with Dr. Oliver Sacks, the Awakenings guy. Yeah. Uh, he's been hanging with synesthetes for many decades now, so he's some something of an authority on it. Oh, yeah. And he was saying that a lot of them get kind of tired of it. Like, I really wish I could just listen to music without seeing all the colors. Well, a lot of people use it, too, though. Well, yeah, creed, creatively. Sure. Sure. Famous uh, synesthetes have, have remarked that it has helped them with their memory. i got a study on that, which we'll get to later. But uh, we're talking about Duke Ellington. Yeah. No slouch. No. Uh, Franz, Franz Liszt. Yeah. Composer. Uh, Nabokov, writer. Actually, Nabokov, in his autobiography, he talks about how he started to um, realize that he was synesthetic when he was a little kid. Um, he was pointing to these uh the i guess the alphabet uh-huh. and they were just colorless um letters wow. but he was talking about the colors of the letters uh-huh. and his mother came over and agreed with him that the the letters were indeed colored right but um she disagreed with 
what colors right. the letters were. Right, right. So he came to realize as he grew older that he and his mother were synesthetic. And actually, strangely enough, his wife turned out to be a synesthete, too. Really? Uh-huh. Well, they do think it's hereditary, for sure. But, get this, he also couldn't hear music. Like, he could hear sa- the sound, but uh-huh. he couldn't hear music. So he couldn't hear a high or a low pitch. And really? He couldn't hear discordant Would tones. he see it? No. No. He was a uh, color graphene synesthete. All right, so that's two. We'll go ahead and say the other two. Word taste, words associated with taste, mm-hmm. and taste touch. And there's all kinds of groupings of these. Right. It's not just those. Apparently, they can be paired in all sorts of ways. And I think they said it's rare, but some people even have uh, involved three or more of their senses. Yeah. Which is, I mean, crazy. Right. And there's no, there, uh, besides, you know, color grapheme synesthesia, it's not like you just have that. You can have... Uh, different types of synesthesia. And you can also have them to different degrees, so much so that um, researchers are, are coming to believe that one out of every 100 or 200 people have synesthesia. Yeah. To some to some degree, like you. Right. And it's also specific to the person. So everyone's is their own. Right, which is like why... three isn't always blue for every right, synesthesia. Which is why Nabokov and his mother were arguing about why... Exactly. What, you know, what colors were what. Uh, there's another one I found too called time-space synesthesia. Did you see this? No. This uh, they kind of reference it in the article as far as uh, some people even see certain months and days as shapes. But uh, this there's a psychologist named David Brang, who his theory is that people can literally see time as a space. They see it as a spatial construct. So he found this one woman in a study who uh, was able to see uh, the year as a circular ring surrounding her body and it rotated clockwise throughout the year and the current month resided inside of her chest and the past month resided on the front of her chest. Huh. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy, yeah. And when I say crazy, I'm not being derogatory. Fascinating. Yes, right. Well, yeah, of course. We use those interchangeably around here, don't we? Well, we tend to. Um, That woman can probably tell you exactly what happened on a certain day of a given year because one yeah. of the one of the benefits that they that researchers believe um synesthetes are bestowed with is uh better working memory there's yeah. different associations it's, it's not just one association it's you're using two regions of the brain to form memories right or that are elicited as a response to music or a letter or something right. like that. Or well, he time. did. He did two studies. You want to hear that? <laughs> I do. He took the same people. The uh, the time space. Uh, is it synesthetes? Synesthetes. Synesthetes. Yeah. He took the time space synesthetes, and he did a. Uh, he asked them to memorize an unfamiliar spatial calendar, and then reproduce it. And he, then he got you know normal people to do it, and the <laughs> results showed that they could recall events in time, like light years beyond the, the non-synesthetes. Sure. And they uh, found on average that they uh, synesthetes have about 123 different facts that they can call up about a specific event in, our li- in their life mm-hmm. compared to 39 for your average Joe. Really? So it's, it's definitely doubling your pleasure with the memory. <laughs> Double your fun <laughs> yeah, with <definitely>. synesthesia. <laughs> uh, Chuck... Um, you were talking about studies and tests. Uh, Dr. Sachs mentioned a, a pretty simple test for somebody with color grapheme synesthesia. Um, and it's brilliant in its simplicity. Right. But you just 
put a piece of paper in front of him with a scattering, a random scattering of fives and S's and say, okay. pick out fives and S's as fast as you can. And for a synesty, because remember, this isn't an association. Like, they literally, five looks red. S looks Are they mixed green. in with other numbers and letters? No, it's just okay. fives and S's because they look similar. Okay. So the synesty should be able to pick out the fives and S's in no time flat. Oh, like, because blue and red, let's say. Right, because it's not just a, a black printed right. number or letter that looks similar to one another. Uh-huh. It will clearly look like this one's red, this one's green, this one's red, this one's green, 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 red. red You're like green. a human highlighter. Pretty much. You know? That's yeah. why you use a highlighter, so it stands out. But think about this. Can you imagine trying to study if – do you remember back in, like, seventh grade, those fat pens that had four different color oh, yeah. inks in them? Sure. And the girls would send you love notes with right. one letter for each and, color. And when they really, really liked you, like, each letter would be a different um, – a, a different color. Yeah. And it was just a headache, a nightmare. And you're like, <laughs> I don't like you, you know? You with that, that puffy bang thing that's all hairspray going on. Yeah, see, that was much later for me. Seventh grade for me was, that was still, uh, oh yeah, everybody early was early 80s. <laughs> Joan trucking. Jett. Everybody was keeping on trucking. Spiky Joan Jet hair. That sure. was what was going on. Nice. Uh, Chuck, this is, uh, appears to be genetic in origin, right? Yeah, that's what they think because usually, more than one person in your family has it right? at a time. Yeah. Uh, old Jacob S- Silverman, n- not to be confused with old Kurt Christensen, <laughs> uh, he, uh, he wrote about um, a researcher named Sarah Jane Blakemore who was delivering a lecture and, and mentioned uh, that she had heard of people who confused um, other people's touches for their own. Right. She's talking about mirror touch synesthetes. And a woman in the audience, I guess, during the Q&A session said, wait, I thought everybody – felt that right and was like what is going on here sarah jane blakemore's like let's go to your home and they did and she found out that 11 of her family members had some form of synesthesia so if it it, they think it it does have a genetic basis but chuck i'm writing an article on a skin condition called epidermolysis bullosa okay basically you, you get blisters really easy right okay researchers have determined that Ten genes are in order, or are in play, or mutated wow. to have epidermolysis bullosa. And that's just for a blister. Can you imagine <laughs> the number of genes that yeah. have to be mutated in the specific combinations right. to, to form synesthesia? Crazy amounts. It is crazy. And we mean fascinating. <laughs> right. uh, where should we go here? Can we I, go to mirror neurons? Well, hold on. Let's talk about one other thing first. Okay. Um, we With... Synesthesia. We, there's two types. We talked about developmental synesthetes who think that uh, this everybody experiences this. Yeah, because they're born with it. Sure. Um, and then there's acquired synesthesia, and this is most predominantly seen in people who lose their sight after a certain age. Right. Or if you have a brain injury or do lots of drugs. You said drug well, use. Well, yeah, drug use can can lead to I guess a kind of temporary synesthesia from what I've read. Oh, okay. But like if you go blind, um, apparently your your brain's visual center, uh-huh. after it's been trained to take in visual information, oh, yeah. it's still hungry for it. Sure. So it starts, apparently your synesthesia can just come in like wow. gangbusters yeah. after you lose your sight, even when you didn't have it before. Yeah. And you remember that movie Mask? Oh, who could forget? Of course. Do you remember the part where Rocky Dennis is teaching his uh, blind girlfriend? 
like what colors? Yeah, cold is blue, hot is red. Right. He puts her hand under some cold water, and he's uh-huh. like, "This is blue." And, and I, what he, he heated like a rock up uh, in in a campfire and gave it to her to teach her right. red and teach her a lesson. And he smacked her in the face and <laughs> said, "That's orange." <laughs> right. Get it right. Orange is pain. Yeah. Um. I I think that's that. I can't tell, and I don't know that a neurologist could tell you whether that right. was actually developing synesthesia. Right. That was Laura Dern, wasn't it? I think it was, yeah. A young Laura Dern. Yeah, and Rocky Dennis was Eric Stoltz. Yeah. And Cher was Cher. Eric Stoltz in a lot of prosthetic makeup. Yeah. Good movie. Great movie. I love that. Sam Elliott, too. Everybody was in that. John Travolta, Tom Cruise, (laughs) Beck. Uh Beck was in it. Yeah. Well, and who can forget the uh, cameo by Liberace? (laughs) I know. It was amazing. It blew me away. He was the mask. Yeah. That was the big reveal. He turned out to be, the not mask. even metaphorically. No. <laughs> like Rocky Dennis took his mask off and it was, it was Liberace. Liberace. Yeah. God, what a classic. Are we a mirror neurons? We definitely are <laughs> mirror neurons. If we're not, we're in big trouble, buddy. Uh, oh, wait. Show no. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, another pop culture reference is um, Fan- Fantasia is commonly yeah. pointed to as about the closest a non-synesthete could come to experiencing synesthesia oh, short of sure. hallucinating. Interesting. Yeah, uh, because the uh, almost every motion and color and change in lighting yeah. uh, is associated with it's a musical sound. note. Yeah, that I can't get through that thing anymore. I can't either. I think when I was a little kid, I thought it was neat, but... No, it's just unsettling. Yeah, it's boring. <laughs> yeah. All right, Chuck, I believe we have arrived at Mirror Neurons. So... Mirror neurons, Josh, I didn't realize this, but they were discovered only in 1996. In macaque monkeys. By accident. Yeah. Uh, there were these dudes in Italy, the neuroscientists at the <laughs> University of Parma, and I will read their names because I love Italians. Uh, it was uh, Giacomo Rizzolatti was the first one. Nice. And uh, Vittorio Galesi <laughs> was the second one. Sure. And the third one was uh, Leonardo Fagassi. <laughs> no, I like the last guy's name the most. Leonardo Fagasi? Yeah. Yeah, he's good. So uh, they make a mean pasta sauce, too. I'll bet. Uh, so they were doing a little study on uh, the premotor neuron dynamics. So they ran some electrodes into uh, a macaque monkey, like you said, right. to the premotor cortex to monitor neural activity when the monkey like would reach for something. It was all going fine. They were learning whatever they were learning, eating some spaghetti. And... Uh, <laughs> All of a sudden, one of the guys, this is how the story goes at least, came into the room and like reached for a raisin, I think they said it was, uh-huh. and the monkey was still hooked up, and they saw that his uh, brain started firing the same as it did when he had actually reached for it, and they all went, Torstogatze! <laughs> it's, it's a ponzi! Nice. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they had stumbled upon what one of them calls the biggest neuroscientific discovery of the decade, and... He went on to say that mirror neurons will do for psychology what DNA has done for biology. That's very pro- funny. Yeah, you know, provide a unifying framework. That's funny that he said that because that that's a lot of foresight for that uh, one single guy because that's exactly what it's done. Oh, yeah. Big time. I mean, that basically mirror neurons are how we learn to do everything. Right. Think about swinging a baseball bat. You don't just walk up and go, oh, there you go. Right. You learn it by observing other people. Right. At the same time, you can make the uh, the the case that culture, um, other kinds of acquired learning, aside from swinging baseball bats, sure. Um, the theory of the mind, where uh-huh. we can put ourselves in other people's situations to predict yeah. their behavior, uh-huh. all of this is accounted for by mirror neurons. Yeah, a biological basis for empathy. Yes. 
crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> um, and I think also uh, em- uh, empaths, people who have severe empathy, real empathy, yeah. um, tend to have more active mirror neurons. And uh, uh, people with autism tend to not display any motor right. mirror neuron activity. You understand one and you might explain the other is what they're thinking. Sure. Pretty cool. Um, also, Chuck, the that was just mirror neurons were just observed in humans for the first time this year. Yeah, UCLA. Yeah, and yeah. apparently there we are, have much more robust than even the monkeys do. Right. So they are you talking about the study where they uh, had brain electrodes already implanted in uh, epilepsy patients awaiting surgery? I did not see that one. Okay. Um, these are the guys who showed it directly before it had been observed. Its activity had been observed, like right. in the MRI, but. MRIs fall a little out of favor these days, and, and rightly so. We just don't In know how to use least, it yeah. yet, right? Um, these guys had brain electrodes hooked up to the brains of, of epilepsy patients already, and they're like, hey, let's test this out. So they had people watch others do grasping motions, right? and then they had the people do grasping motions themselves. Sure. Some neurons were fired when the person did the gra- grasping motion himself, and other neurons fired when they watched it, but eight percent fired both times. Right. Those are the mirror neurons. It was the first times, the first time they were ever directly yeah. observed in humans. Yeah. And those are the sinis, sinistes, sinist. <laughs> no, they're just uh, they're just regular everyday people. Oh, okay. Think I thought about that it. meant. Let's go back to that sports metaphor, okay? Okay. All right, uh, Chuck. Have you ever seen somebody get hit by a pitch? Oh yeah. Uh, have, and did you recoil in your chair? Even though you're in no way in the line of that pitch, yeah, the, a little bit, sure. But have you seen other people do it? It's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Like uh, that's that's mirror neurons at work. Yeah. You're anticipating that this other person is going to feel pain. Right. Uh, you don't necessarily have to be a synesthete for to have mirror neurons. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, sure. Although in synesthetes, it's just heightened. It's they're much more active. Right, and that's the theory. Right. Uh, they also found through the, and I love this, this is like brand new stuff here in the past couple yeah. of years, which yeah. I really love. They found that it's, it, you don't actually even have to see it. You can hear it like a piece of paper being torn and they'll start firing like that. <laughs> and when a, uh, Galesi and Rizzolati found that, uh, when they actually describe something happening in a sentence, the same mirror neurons are firing. Really? As if they are actually performing the action. Wow. So that's, I don't know if that's getting through to people. The neurons that fire, if you would actually tear a up, piece of paper, yeah, tear a piece of paper happen when you hear it being torn. Right. Crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> um, and you were talking about the, uh, what was the Italian guy's name who made the prediction that it was going to be the biggest thing since, uh, the Beatles? Uh, Ravioli. Okay, Ravioli. When he said, um, that it was going to be huge, he was absolutely right, Chuck. Yes. Mirror neurons are at the center of what's being called the fifth revolution in humanity. I believe it. Will you will you allow me? Will Please. you indulge me a moment? <laughs> sure. So the, there's been four so far and we're we're at the beginning of the fifth revolution. The first revolution was Copernicus yeah. saying Earth is in the center of the universe. Right. The second revolution was Darwin saying men are just clever monkeys. Even though he was seventy five years after uh What's his face? Yeah, what's his face? I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Goethe. Goethe. Yeah. Um, and then the third revolution was Freudian, 
who suggested that we were nothing but a bunch of drives and desires that we were unconscious of and couldn't right. control. Sure. The fourth was the genetic revolution, the DNA, Crick and Watson, right. who showed like, hey, we're actually a bunch of genes and all that that implies. Right. And <clears throat> Watson put it like uh, there are only molecules, everything else is sociology. Right. And his, his partner, Francis Crick, said, huh, you know, that's really interesting that we came up with that. I'm going to go ahead and predict the fifth wave. And the fifth revolution is neuroscience. Yeah. And that's where we're at now, that we are nothing but uh, – this is how Crick put it in his book, Astonishing Hypothesis. Even our loftiest thoughts and aspirations are mere byproducts of neural activity. Right. And mirror neurons are revealing that. Synesthesia reveals that. Because think about it, Chuck. If I watch you get pinched and I experience the pinching just like I'm being pinched – that's my reality. Right. But it's not reality as everybody s- sees reality. Sure. Or agrees that reality is, but it's still just as real. So it kind of, um, it kind of underscores just how feeble reality actually is. And You're this blowing is blowing my mind, man. Well, this is what neuroscience <laughs> is. This yeah. fifth revolution is undermining our conceptions and our perceptions of reality. Wow. I, I have a question for you. Let's hear it. There's a neuroscientist named uh, V.S. Ramachandran. Yeah, I saw that guy. Okay. He has a question that he likes to pose to people. It's not his, but he he's, he bandies it about a lot. Chuck. Yes. If a neuroscientist could keep your brain in a vat of liquid and maintain your consciousness... So you had no idea you were just a brain in a vat of liquid. Okay. Apply electrical impulses so that could make you the happiest form of yourself combined with Gandhi, Hugh Hefner, um, Einstein, and Bill Gates. Right. And you were just as happy as you could be. And then one day the neuroscientist says to you, hey, I'm going to give you a choice. First of all, you're a brain in a vat of liquid, and all of your experiences are just me applying electrical impulses. Like Futurama. Or like the Matrix, or like the Matrix, which was actually based on this this thought experiment. Okay. So you can either remain this happy, deluded brain in this vat of liquid, or you can be your regular self, what you consider to be yourself, what you consider to be yourself right now. Right. What would you choose? Blue pill or red pill, basically. Uh, I'd I'd want to be myself. What's the difference? Okay, Morpheus. No, but really, it's true. And this was around before the Warshinsky brothers, you know. Wachowski. Cinema, whatever. Sure. <laughs> uh, Lebowski. What, before they, they cinematized it as the basis for the Matrix. This, yeah. was, uh, this was a philosophical experiment. And it, it, well, if you would never know, you're right. What's the difference? Right. But it's not, it's not never knowing, Chuck. The point is, is that's what's going on with us right now. That's our conception of reality. It's just a, it's a neurological response to external, external stimuli. Uh-huh. But that's, that none of it's real, and mirror neurons are, are kind of pointing that out as a big flashing light. Like, buddy, if somebody can feel someone else being pinched, and you can actually see the brain activity going, they're not imagining right. it, then reality isn't real. Right. And we're here to show you. Wow. I know. I'm depressed. <laughs> see, I'm inspired. What does that say about us? I don't know. Yeah, that means we compliment each other. You blew my mind, literally, into next Wednesday. I got a couple more things. I want to hear them. You know how I was talking about the um, 
biological basis for empathy. They're also thinking that this is why yawns are contagious, laughter contagious, and moods yeah. are contagious. Good and bad. We moods. didn't do that one. The is con- uh, yawning contagious? Yeah, does but it make you empathetic? I, I I don't think they knew as much even when we recorded that as they do now about mirror neurons. <laughs> yeah, like you were saying, like this is cutting edge stuff. It's been advancing leaps and bounds like over the last two years, right? Leaps and bounds. And I got one more thing for you. Speaking of that, have you seen that cute little lamb? Where's B? The confused little lamb on YouTube? No, but Jerry's like nodding like a five-year-old. It is so, so. adorable. <laughs> you, me, and I just sit there and watch it. Like the, you'll, you'll watch it ten times. Really? Yeah. Wow. If that, as long as little B, the lamb's around, I don't care what's real. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I could ever watch anything as much as I watch the surprise cat, kitten, or the, uh, yeah, or the, um, the, uh, Shocked uh, gopher, groundhog, or whatever they are. Where he turns around, yeah. dramatic. Uh, <laughs> gro- yeah. I can't yeah. remember what it's called. What about the weather guy? Yeah, pretty much everywhere is going to be hot. going to be hot. Arthur. Arthur, yeah, yeah, he was good too. Yeah. Boy, that was a nice little sidebar. Well, have you seen Keyboard Kitty? <laughs> we should just do a whole show on YouTube stuff. Okay. I haven't seen Keyboard Kitty. Uh, Josh, here's one other, one last thing. The uh, mirror neurons, they think. Uh, a more complex mirror neuron system developed in humans about five to ten thousand years ago. Yeah, I remember. You know what else happened around five to ten thousand years ago? We, st- I, I've got everything I want to say. I can't say. <laughs> it emerged roughly at the same time as modern communication and language. Beauty. So they think the mirror neurons, once they developed to that extent in early man, that. Crude uh, pantomime gestures became more elaborate gestures. Gestures? Mm-hmm. I, I like that. <laughs> I said gestures. It's like a nod to gestalt. Right. And uh, then that became rudimentary language, and then it just snowballed from there. So, Well, Chuck, think about this. We've talked about Mesopotamia being the cradle of civilization. Yeah. We started living in cities around that time, too. Yeah. And mirror neurons make us more empathetic, wow. which is pretty much the glue that holds society together. Truly the fifth revolution. Yeah. So interesting. Um, we should give a shout out just so we don't get a thousand million emails about Richard Saitawik. He, yeah, yeah. He kind of says that he's the man when Back it comes in, to synesthesia. He wrote a book in '93. Yeah, he's written. And a few. I noticed uh, Oliver Sacks nodding to this guy too. Yeah, he. I mean, he seems like the real deal. All of his website is uh, mm, crude. Is it? <laughs> well, it's just you go to it and you're like, oh man, I thought you were all like professional. And it's not synesthete.org, is it? The, no, the I can't synesthete remember. battery, but no, I don't think so. But he has he he does have some books. One's called "The Man Who Tasted Shapes." Yeah, that's I, I think that's the one from '93. And then uh, Wednesday is Indigo Blue, discovering the brain of synesthesia. Mm-hmm. And he proposes that it's well. I, we should say there was another hypothesis that it's just uh, crossed wires, and that we're born like that with our neurons crossed. Yeah, and that almost all humans get it straightened out and it becomes more complex around 12 months of age yeah yep. but that it's just uh just wires across that's why baby if you stick your tongue out a baby they might stick their tongue out back one one other one uh yeah we were talking about exo echopraxia yeah in um the tourette's episode and that apparently it has to do with mirror neurons as well right um and then one other uh, school of thought for synesthesia is that synesthetes are picking up on something that's actually there so, like, uh, the wavelength right. of a piece of music also has some sort of light wavelength that only certain people say. Right. Interesting. I'm going with the mirror neurons. 
Well, I don't think we have any choice, man. It's like evolution. Freud, I don't know if I accept him as a revolution, right. but it's like evolution, Copernicus. Yeah, Copernicus. The whole shebang. Whole shebang. DNA. DNA. But don't you feel, Chuck, <clears throat> that we are at this point where all the information is on the table, but we're yeah. just now starting to be able to put it together? So it's a really depressing point right now because our place in the universe is as up in the air as it's ever been. We've been, we're, we're, we've never been less sure about our importance or our, the meaning of our lives. Yeah, it's entirely possible that once we put it all together, the meaning will be even bleaker. Right. The reality will be even bleaker, but then we'll be able to grow from there. I yeah. think that we exist right now in one of the bleakest periods of humankind. Wow, that's a nice way to leave things. Well, that's it for uh, synesthesia. <laughs> I. Th- I think we've got more than just this one article on the site, but uh, the one we were basing this off of is, can people feel the pain of others? I think if you type synesthesia, S-Y-N-E-S-T-H-E-S-I-A into the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, you're going to get something, pal. Something. Maybe D.L. Hughley. You never can tell. (laughs) So, Chuck, it means it's time for listener mail, right? Well, Josh, it would if there was listener mail, but I didn't prepare listener mail today because we have just some things to uh, talk about. T-shirt submissions. Yeah, we've Designs. already gotten some pretty cool ones. We've gotten some really cool ones, and some that aren't so great. <laughs> but Shh. but we appreciate the effort. Yes, we do. But uh, keep them coming. We don't have the details yet. We just wanted to say that... We, we archive all emails. We archive all the emails. I have a little folder called T-shirts, and I'm throwing all the uh, all the ones in there that people send in. That's so crazy. I thought of making a folder called T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to me. Uh... It's we're really getting some great ones though. Agreed. Like I would want these T-shirts. Oh, there's one that I know we definitely can't produce that I really want. The Magnum PI one. Yes. Yeah, that was pretty dope. Oh my goodness. Pretty cool. All right. Well, uh, yeah. If you so want, that it, okay. That's coming, and then we should we should plug Facebook and Twitter too. Okay. Because we, so we we're this, up and running now. There's a social media site called Facebook that you should check out. Uh-huh. And then there's another thing called Twitter that people should check out too. Yeah. The end. And you can find us at Stuff You Should Know on the uh-huh. Facebook. You want to talk about our Facebook and Twitter stuff. And you can find us at SYSK Podcast on Twitter. Yeah. And, you know, follow us and sign up and become a fan. And I'm kind of digging being involved. It's fun. We, we should put a, a subliminal obey in right yeah. here. Despair. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, thanks for the despair pennant. You know who you are. Right. Thanks for everything we've gotten recently. Yeah, we got a six-pack of microbrew from a guy that was really nice. And the 911 people sent us things uh, about that work at 911 call centers. We got like hats and t-shirts. Yes, turns out 911 isn't a joke. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you everybody for uh, listening, at least. Those of you who send in emails, double thanks. And those of you who send in actual physical stuff, triple thanks. Uh, if you want to contact Chuck or me or both of us, and Jerry too, uh, you can send us an email, including t-shirt submissions, to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the howstuffworks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?